Hey guys, what's up for this installment of Find Your Film for the Find Your Film podcast. I have two interviews and then closing out the episode will be a Blu-ray review of Gangnam Zombie, a zombie film from Welgo USA Entertainment that is being reviewed or was reviewed by Bruce Perky from the Cinematics Podcast, our weekly Cinematics Podcast. So that's the third segment. The first segment is an interview with director Nicole Payon, and she's the filmmaker behind this new movie called The Kill Room. It had a limited release earlier this year. It hits digital and home theaters on November 3rd, so you can purchase it, rent it, starting November 3rd, at least as far as I can tell, stateside, via Shout Studios. And what's interesting about Kill Room is it stars Pulp Fiction actors Samuel Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, and Uma Thurman. They reunite after all these years, but it's really interesting comedy, drama, thriller. It has all these different elements. Nicole Bayon does not want to actually, during the interview, she wanted to say that it's not straight a straight-up thriller. And it has maybe splashes of it. Mainly for me, it was a comedy drama, drama dramedy. Very hit the mark for me because I really loved Uma Thurman. She gets a really plum role in this film about a gallery owner, Uma Thurman. She gets into this money laundering scheme with this a bagel store owner in New York, a bagel shop owner. And actually, I think there's a big discussion is he, even though you see bread all around the store, he specializes in Bialis. So, and he wants to, his big thing is people confuse the difference between a bagel and Biali. And that's one of his big bone of contentions. He, that as passionate as he is for food, that's sort of a money laundering front because ultimately Samuel Jackson uses that store as a front to handle hitman contract businesses that are picked up by his right-hand man, played by Joe Manganiello. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Joe Manganiello, from Magic Mike. You might know him from that. I know him from True Blood, loved his work in True Blood as well. He plays a hitman who, yeah, he gets his hands really bloody and dirty by all these kills. Thing is, he's also a talented painter, and they use his paints his artwork as sort of a front in this money laundering scheme that involves him, the hitman, the gallery owner played by Uma Thurman, and Samuel Jackson, who is the front man for this whole money laundering business. And everything seems okay. Everything's fine. Is Everything seems under the table. Monies are being laundered and everyone is making off like bandits financially until the hitman becomes a celebrity in New York, in the New York art world. He becomes the go-to painter because he's so mysterious. His artworks, though obscure, is very, is piquing the interest of a lot of people in town. The ensemble includes Drew Hemingway, Debbie Mazar, um, Candy Buckley, Jennifer Kim. Really interesting movie. I had a good time watching it. And I alluded to during the interview, one of my favorite lines from this year has Uma Thurman going to someone, you look great in that color. And the way that Uma Thurman delivers that line had me really laughing and the whole the movie has its dry humor touches, which I really appreciated. So that is the first interview that is with director Nicole Payone, and she talks about working on The Kill Room. Very interesting. Again, tell me what you think of this movie once you see it. For our Cinematics Patreon listeners, I have Nicole talking about the ending of The Kill Room, and it's very value-added because the ending that you see in this movie was quote-unquote, yeah, a little bit compromised because of what happened. And Joe, Joe Manganiello got COVID. Uma Thurman's ride didn't get to the location soon enough due to traffic. 
So they had to sort of shoot around her and she was only available for a couple of scenes. Nicole goes into it in depth as well as the specific ending, the original ending of The Kill Room. And that material, that footage will be found for our subscribers for our Cinematics Patreon community. Okay, so I'll put a link for that. I haven't put up that ending stuff yet. I will put that up the weekend of, of November 3rd. So Cinematics family, you'll get a chance to actually rent, purchase The Kill Room, watch it. And then if you want to see Nicole talking about the ending of the movie and shooting around it, very interesting stuff. It's how she managed to pull it off. That will be exclusive on our Patreon. So that's the first interview. The second interview is another, wow, another chat that I enjoyed. It's with filmmaker Matthew Ritz. And he previously directed this movie, I'm pronouncing it wrong, called Anote's Arc. His new movie is called Deep Rising. It is narrated and executive produced by Jason Momoa. And this documentary, it centers on here. I'm going to look at the plot line on the official plot line. Is, quote, a tale of geopolitical, scientific, and corporate intrigue, investigating the future of the world's energy crisis and how it is currently tied to the fate of the deep ocean floor, which is intricately tied to our survival. Now, if that plot line bored you and thinking, I'm just going to sit here and listen to a lecture for 90 some odd minutes. No, no, you're not. Because I started off the interview asking Matthew about the cinema behind Deep Rising. And what's great about this movie, when you explore the deep ocean, there are some really beautiful footage of the ocean floor, the animals, the sea creatures, the sea creatures, the animals that live here, the jellyfish, the different kind of corals, reefs, all that stuff. Every living organisms, all that stuff that you may not see in the deep, in the dark, is covered in this movie and it's this documentary and it's really beautiful to watch. The narration from Jason Momoa, initially I was thinking, oh, this is not the original type of narration that I'm used to in these type of documentaries. But by the end of the the documentary, I was really used to his voice and the narration behind Deep Rising. Love the sound design, the music, the editing, also, what's interesting is this is not a talking head documentary. It's a bird's eye view documentary. As you follow, you listen to the narration, you learn about the oceans, you learn about the nodules that are in the oceans. And these nodules that have been there for centuries, they can provide a lot of met- metallic resources, metal resources for th- to power our, our world. And there are two different people. There, there are two different sides of this. There's a environmentalists, people who want to keep these nodules at the bottom of the floor to continue a hopefully a healthy ecosystem in the ocean. But then there are other people who want to make money from these nodules and also power our green world. And maybe they might be right. They might be wrong. What's great is Matthew Ritz. He has his own, and he's, he's all about climate change, which is, you know, I, I'm about climate change as well. So he's on the side of the environment, but the thing is, he does not impose his will or opinion in Deep Rising. He, he presents both sides, and it's you as the viewer to figure out where you stand. You might even side with the business people who are trying to extract all these valuable deposits on the ocean floor because possibly they can really enhance and help our society. Who knows with making batteries, maybe making batteries, if it comes at the co- the cost of nature, that might be your thing. And that's, that. I respect that. People have different, the world goes round and round and everyone has different opinions. 
and Deep Rising offers both sides of those opinions with and it's filled with really rich imagery and interesting an interesting look from both sides of the fence. So really enjoyed Deep Rising and recommend it as well. And again, it is produced and directed by Matthew Ritz. He also co-wrote the narration behind this movie. And again, Jason Momoa, and you've known him from so many different films, I'm sure a lot of you have seen Aquaman he and Game of Thrones. He is provides a narration as well. He's a narrator and he is the executive producer of Deep Rising. It is going out to wider theaters starting this Friday, November 3rd, across the U.S. and Canada via Abramorama. So presents Deep Rising, narrated by Jason Momoa and directed by Matthew Ritz. Again, so the two films for this Find Your Film podcast, segment one, you're going to start with a trailer of The Kill Room and then the interview with Nicole Payone. And what's great about this interview as as well is she talks about all the different collaborators, collaborators she worked with on the project. She talks about her love for the films of John Cassavetes. If you don't know who John Cassavetes is, he's one of the actors from The Dirty Dozen. Love him in that. But he's also best known as a, I think he was in, wasn't he in Rosemary's Baby? He was in Rosemary's Baby, I believe. And I know, because I've never seen Rosemary's Baby. He's a big co-star in one of my favorite Brian De Palma films, The Fury. So I love John Cassavetes as an actor, but Cassavetes as a director, I mean, he's known for A Woman Under the Influence, um, the Killing of the Chinese Bookie, Love Streams, a bunch of other movies that I can't remember, but I think he did. Yeah, so those are some of the movies that he directed, and he's considered one of the, the I, I guess, would you say granddaddy of independent films? He One of the leading models or influences behind the independent, independent cinema movement, John Cassavetes. So she talks about Cassavetes. She recommends, as far as find your film recommendations, she recommends this year's release, A24 release, Past Lives, a romantic drama which about, I, I think she's a Korean woman, I believe, and, and and she's living in the States and she's married, I believe, and she is reunited with her childhood friend. So I have not seen Past Lives. I should see Past Lives. That's her Find Your Film recommendation. And Matthew Ritz, his recommendation is this movie called Darwin's, I think Darwin's Experiment. Let me, hold on one second. Let me just check for the full title. Hold on. Yes, I'm back. Matthew Ritz's recommendation is Darwin's Nightmare. It's a documentary, 2004 Austrian, French, Belgian documentary that is written and directed by Hubert Sauper. So I will leave some links for Darwin's Nightmare and Past Lives along with other stuff. Finally, again, third segment will be Bruce Porky's review of the Welgo USA Entertainment release Gangnam Zombie out now on Blu-ray and digital and DVD, I believe. So enjoy this episode of Find Your Film. And I'm trying to think of anything else to say. I think there was a couple of other things I wanted to say, but the intro's long enough. Enjoy these segments. Tell me what you think if you see any of these movies or actually check out some of these recommendations. Thank you so much for your support here on the Find Your Film podcast. Talk to you guys soon. Until then, have a great week watching movies, and give me some recommendations along the way, too. All right, bye. When you make art from a truthful place, people find out something about you. We're a team, right? Yeah. We need to find a new way to deal with the money. Customer of mine was short of cash. Gave me that instead. And what's here? 
Nate was mentioning you were having a cash problem. Well, my business is no business of yours. Well, not right now, but I think we might be able to help each other out. What am I supposed to paint? You want to make money? Just paint something. All right, I'll paint. Damn, that is ugly. So from now on, there's a contract out. I suggest they buy art. Art? What the frig do you know about art? This classy art gallery run by this young lady will take a reasonable cut for herself and cut us a nice clean check. My five-year-old makes better paintings. That's the beauty of this, you cretin. This thing that looks like a Smurf with diarrhea can sell for a million bucks, and the IRS wouldn't bat an eye. What's the artist's name? Bagman. The Bagman. Are you the Bagman? Tell me about the Bagman. I would never say it's a good piece, but it makes me feel dirty. Ooh. An art critic wants to do a piece on. Oh, la di da. When I hear no, it makes me want something even more. This thing's supposed to be a front. That means low profile. Why do I even have to tell you this is not good? I knew that money laundering was a crime, but murder. I'm sorry, we don't have any work from the Batman available. There's an extremely long wait list of collectors. Everybody wants one. Clean, like laundry. Are you really mansplaining money laundering to me? Over the years, I've interviewed a lot of filmmakers and writers, and some a lot of people. Some people say they love the writing part because their workflow is in a coffee, they're in their head, they're planning their visions, all that stuff. Others say they would rather, they love it when they're shooting, when they're on the set, getting to collaborate, getting to just beat up their screenplay and just rejig it. Where do you fall under that spectrum? Great question. I love being on set. I love solving the problems and fixing the puzzle pieces and collaborating. I mean, film and TV, making movies, it's such a collaborative art. And I love the communal sense, but only when I'm the boss. (laughs) Well, when you are the boss and you have so many different collaborators, what's What's the key in actually a successful collaboration where people have so many different opinions, you have a lot of options creatively thrown your way, which I think can only be a great thing. But since you are the boss, what's the key to making that collaboration just fruitful for every department within the production? Yes, yeah, so I think it's it's important to be very clear on your vision, but I also think it's important to let your department heads thrive. It's not, I've been on a lot of sets where it's like a dictatorship and I don't thrive and I don't think any creative thrives when being yelled at or um, judged. I really try to empower uh, my department heads to like, there's no wrong answers to think outside the box, to challenge what my, my thoughts are. Um, Maybe I don't, Maybe I'm not thinking or the the way I'm thinking of something. If you bring that to the table, let's discuss it. I just think a lot of times I think it's important to empower people to to I, I think that you create best that people create best that way. 
I remember Nicole, when I was 13 or 14, I, I saw uh, Pritchie's Honor and I really loved that film. And I was, even as a kid, I was thinking, how does this director, how is he able to blend all those styles with such a serious subject matter? Years later, now I'm in my 50s, The Kill Room, serious subject matter. There, people are getting killed. Yep. Art world is, it's a satire, but it's mm-hmm. also a, a relationship drama. It's friendship drama as well. And it, there's also a thriller element because there's a lot of manipulations going. What was the key to just crafting the right tone for this film? I would say editing. Well, it's such a process, right? Like I would say the development of the script tonally, I wanted the script to have a little bit of levity to it in its send up of the art world, but I didn't want to dismiss or disguise what the guys were doing and, and specifically what Reggie was doing. But I also wanted, it was important for me, like as the director, it's it's certainly going to have a female gaze because I'm the creator of, of the film. But it was important to hold off a lot of the talk and thought that this was a straight up thriller. There was a, a push to make it a straight up thriller. And I was like, that's, that's not the movie. That's, that was never the movie that I was making. There was always some levity to it. And I think tonally how you balance that is when you're on set, you get varied performances. And my my actors were, I mean, my goodness, they were masters. And so I asked for what I needed and they gave me that and more. And then when you get to the editing room, it's really about trying trying it out and having the time to do that. Like we had to recut that the 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 Rashnikov end. I don't want to give anything away, but we had to recut that several times because tonally it 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 didn't work because we were going back out from the room to the audience, and the audience was a little bit more of a a jokey thing on the page, and so I ended up having to cut cut that idea out. You know, like the script is just it's really an idea, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And when you get to the editing room, you have uh, your third rewrite. And so we were rewriting in the editing room as well. Cool. All I do is I do these interviews and I edit them on YouTube and also on podcasts. So sometimes I'll start and three to four hours are gone and it feels like 10 minutes and yes. I still have another three or four hours to go. So, but I'm just interviewing, cutting interviews. I don't, I can't imagine how many hours you spend People used to call it edit bays, but wherever you're editing or however you're doing it, how many hours or months does it take? And what does it take to actually get to that final edit? Do you need to have a passion for actually editing and cutting and seeing those, like you said, puzzles together? Because if you're not into editing, it's going to be a long, arduous process. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they say when, you know, when you're aligned or the, the magic in your day is when the hours go by and you don't even realize it. And, and it's true. My, my editor, uh, Gillian Hutzing, she was incredible and she was just as passionate about the film as I was. And, and you really have to care and you have to care about the characters and, and so many, so many days it would be, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock. And she would go to me like, we're way over. Like, and I was, and it, you know, the day just seemed to be a blur because you're so in it and you care about every moment. You just have to have the time to do it. It just, it takes weeks and weeks and months and months. I'm butchering the line, I'm paraphrasing, but when you got to that cut, when someone in the narrative says, you look great in that color, I, I think something like that. What was it like seeing it on the, on that 
editing it because that that was just a scene that I think is one of my favorite lines from the entire year. I was just completely laughing. I love the dry wit in your in your narrative. Thank you. Uh, it's so funny because no one ever in any screening laughed at that line. And I, I think that line is so funny because it's just the way, you know, Uma didn't push it. And I, and I, we, I just kept trying to hone in and just say like, this isn't a cop. We're not making a comedy, you know, like, cause my background is, is mostly in, you know, straight up comedy and I just, a lot of times in the beginning with the discussion with the actors, like, I'm sure they looked me up and, and, and they were like, what, what's the tone here? Because it's not my traditional tone. I, I came from sketch comedy. And so I felt relief with this type of tone. And it's, it's the jump that I want to make and wanted to make. And, and so that line no one laughed at it. So by the fact that you recognize it and liked it, I that thank you. I, I love that. It's so you just hit the mark. No, look, oh, my final question is I was looking at your Instagram and how awesome was it that day when you were at the uh, the Criterion offices? I haven't seen the video if it hasn't been uploaded yet. What are the Blu-rays or DVDs that you picked from the library? I don't know if the video is up yet, but and vis-a-vis, you know, are those your favorite movies? Um, yes. The ones that so you I and why. A, I, yeah, I didn't do a video. I, it was just the photo. Where I'm aiming for the video, but but I didn't have time. Um, but they put me up on the wall, which is such an incredible honor. I I picked the Fellini box set, Cassavetes. It was so funny because th- he was like, "No more, take more. Just fill up the whole bag." And I was like, "Really? Okay." I got um, a Hedwig. Wow. Thelma and Louise. Oh my God, I'm totally forgetting now. Hedwig, Thelma and Louise, Fellini. You said the Cassavetti stuff, the box. Cassavetti's, yes. Oh my God, I'm totally blanking. Well, before I let you go, quick, quickly, after watching The Kill Room, what should our listeners watch? Like a, a movie that is dear and close to your heart and what makes it still unique and personal for you? Yeah. I mean, this is, I know that's a big, broad question, yeah. but right off the top of your head. I mean, if they haven't seen Past Lives, I just loved that movie this year. I I I just fell in love with that movie. And Greta is her performance is just otherworldly. So I'd say past lives. And Taylor Swift's there. No, um, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm going. Yeah, I'm gonna say past lives. And, and very quickly, you're still continue Cassavetti still continues to inspire you as a filmmaker because you know the kill room, I, I really loved even it's how it portrayed New York. It really gave me a feel of the city and its environment. And I'm sure that's one of the many reasons why you love Cassavetes as far as his immersive worlds that he created, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he was right. Like the, he was like one of the first indie, indie filmmakers really. And I just, I love, I love the tone of his films. And I certainly try to, I won't say emulate because I, I often think sometimes we are, grabbing so much from other people's work i really want to try to have my own sort of stamp on things and so i love the way he is uniquely himself and i think that's really as a filmmaker that's all that's what i'm trying to achieve well thank you so much for your time really appreciate it you're so welcome it was great talking to you greg matthew ritz is that the way to pronounce your last name absolutely Mm -hmm. okay matthew first off you were in interviews for, for deep rising you were talking about the cinema behind your documentary talk about that import the importance of making your documentary pure cinema and all of the elements involved with whether it's the vo the sound design the the music how important was it for you to bring cinema into your doc 
Oh, it's critical because I think an issue such as deep sleep and mining, you need to bring emotion. It's extremely hard to build empathy for the deep ocean. And it's, you know, without, without using the, the, the techniques of cinema that brings, you know, the art of cinema can, yeah, can really bring people to a journey. And the song, as I said, soundscape, score, uh, VO and, and all the skill of editing and all what makes this film what it is. I think is also that um, the, the the aim is to bring people on a journey that they feel something. Because we're talking here about you know a very large part of the planet that is mostly unknown by by anyone, and and it's it's visually not that compelling for some space. You know, like when they ha- where where the deep sea nodules are sitting at four kilometers down in the ocean on the ocean sea floor, it's absolutely not the same type of ecosystem. Where you find dolphin and back whales and, and beautiful corals that, you know, in five minutes, you show this, uh, with some piano and people will be like, I need to protect this, which is not really the case for, for the deep, deep seabed. You need, you need to find story, storytelling techniques, you know, for people to care. So that was a very challenging film for me because, you know, again, I will bring empathy and care to the deep ocean. Well, some of these meetings they or the conferences they they, they would take place, place 2018 2019 some events in 2021 during the process of this documentary what was the biggest challenge in just pulling all of these elements together and making it a cohesive whole what was that maybe that four to five year journey what was the hardest part of it for you i mean it was a long editing process for sure you know really getting interwining those stories you know interwining the the two characters plus the devotion plus the voiceover of Jason Momoa everything in 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 a single film and it's interesting because the film kind of sits in between two different categories i would say uh, on one hand is uh, you know kind of more like geopolitical intrigue follow the money kind of like eco thriller type of film and 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 winter one that was natural natural history you know when we in the deep ocean is and and the the the, the footage starts is it's it's really like it feels more like a a, a bbc type of you know a blue planet uh and and how to interwine both was very challenging because it's easy i mean you know i really wanted to to make it work but that was also a gambling because it might just not work at all <laughs> you know it's like you lose audience from like the drama of you know, there's the intrigue and the drama of, of follow the money and the future of energy and what's happening with the CEO and what's happening with this other character. And then also the dropping all together with a totally different style of film. Um, but which is quite interesting at the same time, because the film is now becoming, becoming recognized on both, uh, and both category. I recently won one of the most important award in, in national history, uh, the Jackson Wilde, you know, has a, the, um, special jury prize and this is you know the oscar of national history you know and i was very surprised that actually they even consider that film but you know because now i have yeah the film somehow has a value of of both type of storytelling jason momoa in, in the interviews he was saying how when he was doing the vo there were some moments when he got really emotional so my question to you is a two-part question the first one is what was it like having jason momoa as a collaborator and the second part was what was the big challenge for you as far as crafting the narration for this documentary? That must have taken so much work because if the narration doesn't work, the documentary can fall. So, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, I mean, we 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 put so much work to actually write the script because 
in in the context of a documentary, we don't have the budget to have uh, Jason twice in the studio, <laughs> so you can you cannot do retakes. It has to be good, and it has to be good at the first place. But then you know the process of working with him. I mean, it was quite fast. Uh, it's, it's, it, you know, it takes a few hours, like a day, basically, to to record it. But what was so for me so beautiful because I realized how much he, he cares about the ocean, and and it doesn't do that for just you know to to show that he cares. He actually cares, and I think it's also part of of who he is as a, as a, as a Polynesian. You know, like I mean, his his father is a is is Hawaiian mother um, U.S. But but I think he really talks to his you know Hawaiian uh Polynesian heart and you know really understanding that you know deep sea bed mining is an issue that will uh, impact you know the future generation of of his people of the island you know it's that's like so I think when when that kind of get clear you know I think that's where you know he 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 came he became emotional and really and you know and that was a beautiful also because you can you can then you can hear it that's and that's the beauty of it. You know, you can hear in a voice. It's 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 a voice that is uh, very truthful. I think in a in a in a in a, in a documentary, it's not just a, a a geek you do and 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 you cash in and you go. I think it's just something really profound that ha- was happening, and um, I'm very grateful for that. Matthew, we we can tell from this documentary your passion for the deep sea, these nodules, and the climate and the environment. But can you talk about presenting also, you're also uh, focusing in a little bit on the, the CEO of that, of that company, the, the, metals metals company. Com- the metals company, right? And how, yeah. talk about getting access to him and also presenting it in a way where we can make our decisions for ourselves as opposed to you imposing your viewpoint as a documentarian, but just showing us and having us make our own decision. Talk about that, you know, that decision too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's um it's a mix of of answer. Uh, I I I thought it was very important to bring uh, the CEO of, of um or any any important players for the mining industry to to give them a voice, also for the viewer to understand what that stakes, you know, because otherwise you're just hard, you know, you're just eating hard on 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 an industry, but it doesn't really, you know. And then the film preached to the choir. You you film. Basically, will will be uh, uploaded and and get all the awards in the conservation uh, world, but um, but it's half of the story. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I am personally, you know, against deep sea band mining uh, in a way that I don't I don't think we should get after those nodules. But I couldn't also have a very strong voice as a director, starting you know to have a to have. Um, a way I put the storytelling together to 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 demonize uh, the character because then you know what will happen very clearly is you know they will have dropped from the project because you know and then and then I'm losing this entire I would have lost this entire complexity. Um, that's you know what's that's was the most challenging project in my, from in my life or that on that perspective because I, I kept the editorial control all the time. Uh, nothing about that, but. It's it's how you how to balance this very thin line. What has it been like getting the reaction from your documentary from I guess both sides? You said the complexity of your documentary. I think probably one of the the great parts of this documentary's existence is the fact that you're going to have so many different people with their view 
personal viewpoints, bring their thoughts and opinions to the table. Is that something that you look forward to continuing this kind of dialogue? Yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. And I think, you know, the film itself is a journey. So what I found very interesting is how people react to the film and and, and how they actually uh, change mind in the middle of the film. You know, they might start with like, oh, he's a good guy. Oh, he's a bad guy. Oh, no, I'm confused. <laughs> and I think... I think that's, I mean, I think that, you know, I think this is really interesting, you know, because it, it, it really created debates. Um, I had some of the most amazing Q&As I ever had in, in, in the cinema because, yeah, it's just people are confused. And I think it's, it's good to confuse people. It's, it's better to confuse people and then they start asking questions and, and digging by themselves and hopefully get to the right conclusion than, than just like give give the audience, you know, the, the the conclusion already and they don't have to think yeah i think one of the many success um, great points about your documentary a, a talk, talking about people getting confused is there's this one moment where i can't even name the machine i'm sure it's worth i don't know how much money and it and it fails and then you go back to documenting it a year later and no matter what your opinion are is regarding you know the the deep sea and the mining and the deep, you know all, all that stuff you're actually pulling for them that they actually accomplish this a year later so you bring in a layer of complexity you as documentarian you didn't have to put that into the documentary you could have just made it oh this machine failed this is proof that capital you know all that stuff can you just talk about about that sequence i thought that was a genius stroke that you show both sides of humanity there working towards a goal no matter what your opinions are yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, the guy, the guy on the boat was super happy when it, it, you know, and that's what, what I mean by confusing, confusing the audience in a way, because yeah, I can, I agree with you. We can, you can actually have empathy for those guys who just work so hard and then, and then they, they, you know, they fail and then the success. And that's, you know, storytelling in, in its art of like the, the art form of storytelling when you, you, you actually, yeah, exactly as you said, like you just, oh, wow, they, they, they did it. Congrats, guy. But the, the next scene is like, oh, oh, shit, that machine is going to destroy the ocean too. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's amazing. But Matthew, my f- final question to you. We opened the discussion regarding cinema. Right off the top of your head, can you name one of the most impactful movies in your life? And what is it about this specific movie that means a lot to you on a, on a personal level? Oh, la la. One, sorry, I haven't thought about this one. Yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a film that is a bit old, but was the name was like uh, the Dar- the Darwin the Darwin Nightmare, and that's you know was not yeah, maybe like fifteen years ago or something, but I was very very moved by that film because the guy um, basically was able to just peel all the layer. It was about um, exploiting <coughs> the, the the fish in uh, in the Great Lake in East Africa, but it was about just basically to start with a very simple. Um, the story basically, you know, there's, they, they basically, you know, exploited one specific type of fish that brought to extension the whole lake. But then, you know, it's just starting with a very simple, uh, uh, environmental story. And then you peel, you peel and you peel and you peel the layers of, of the story to realize all what, all the impact basically that this very simple thing had. Had on so many layers from, from, from environment, from, you know, human rights, from global trade, from, and then it went to like trading actually weapon in back to, you know, it's like it, it becomes this. So I love those film where it's just like you're starting peeling realities basically, you know, just like 
yeah, go to a journey and you get becoming more and more and more complex. Matthew, thank you so much for your time. I really, really loved your documentary. Thank you so much. So I have a Blu-ray review today, um, once again, from WellGo USA. Uh, they do a lot of international genre movies and releases on Blu-ray, which is great that they are releasing Blu-rays quite a bit. Uh, in fact, earlier this year, they had one of our, my favorites, was which was Unwelcome. This particular one is a Gangnam Zombie. Uh, I didn't know much about Gangnam Zombie, and I definitely have had my doubts with... Uh, the title, you know, all I can think about is Gangnam Style, and also, you know, the zombie subgenre. It seems pretty, pretty drained of any new and inf- you know new, exciting information. But you never know when you're going to get another Train to Busan or something like um, I don't know, One Cut of the Dead, something that you're not expecting. So I went in with open eyes for Gangnam Zombie. Uh, Gang of Zombie is directed by a Sung Lee. Uh, the two main stars that we have here is we have the, uh, the female star here is Min Jeong, played by Park Ji Yoon. Do my best with these names. And um, the main guy is Hyun Suk, uh, played by Ilju Ji. As we start this movie, we have these two characters running through. Uh, at first, I thought it might be a mall. But then I discovered it's kind of like a, a an office building or or kind of this shiny, gleaming office space where they uh, have uh, their workspace. And they're running through this kind of this mall space, being chased by fast zombies, very similar to Train to Busan in their look. You know, they have like bloody mouths and kind of veins coming off the sides of their faces, sort of similar. And they're, you know, jerky and running and frantic. And the two protagonists are running fleeing the woman gets cornered in a car because there's cars in the middle of this kind of like for display cars for sale in the middle of kind of the the public spaces of this office building down on the main floor she's hiding inside one of them he's on top fighting off the zombies and you see him get overcome and then we have a flashback so that kind of that common thing where like you start in the action and you flash back to see what got them there to a few days or a few hours before that kind of a thing i guess my first impression was that it's it's very digital shiny it's very digital bright um i kind of usually hope my zombie movies have a little more grit a little more grime to them uh maybe just personal taste but that was kind of my first impression it didn't look like it was gonna be very bloody because the zombies seem pretty tame uh but then how does that play out okay so we flash back we have two characters that we don't know haven't seen before two guys and they look like they're breaking into like a storage container and they're like, they're going to be stealing something out of there. I think they get into one of the storage lockers, uh, break it open. There's like jewelry and stuff inside and they're all excited because they're going to get this, you know, probably heist of jewelry, I guess you'd say. But it looks like it's not like a bank or anything. It's just like, like I said, like a storage locker in the waterfront or something. Anyway, out from behind one of the crates comes a angry cat. And <laughs> this is where my, my brain kind of went sideways. There's an angry cat and the cat leaps and, uh, you know, attacks and scratches the neck of one of the dudes. And apparently this is the inciting incident, you know, a cat, I I guess the cat's supposed to be a zombie cat. We don't really know. I mean, other than it being angry and mean, uh, it looks like a normal cat. I didn't look that close, but, you know, I didn't see like it was rotted or, you know, they didn't use a puppet or anything from what I could tell. So missed opportunity, in my opinion, that would have been nice to have some kind of a, 
you know, weird zombie cat. That would have kind of given it a cool, campy, fun flavor. But it, it was just it was just what started it all, I guess. And they never explain it. Is the cat infected with something? Uh, we we don't know. Does zombification come from cats, I guess, in this universe? I suppose so. But that would have been kind of fun to explore. They didn't really explore it. The next interesting thing is um, out from the water rises the guy who got scratched as he's dead. Uh, he He basically becomes a zombie. But when he rises out as a zombie, a full-fledged zombie, the sound effect they give him is literally, and I'm not talking about there just sounds like it, literally the sound of a zombie from Minecraft, which made me laugh very hard. I don't know if that's supposed to be an in-joke. So if you, I mean, most of the world has experienced Minecraft in some form or another, but if they played it to any degree, they would recognize the zombie sound. Um, I don't think they repeat it throughout the movie, but that was like the, one of the first sounds when he rises out of the water is that the rest of the movie basically switches to this. It switches to the two people I mentioned earlier. Um, they kind of work for a YouTube channel. Um, and then the movie, this is okay. <laughs> then the movie basically becomes like the kind of this, uh, soft, silly comedy with, uh, 20 somethings kind of maybe having a romance, but in the workplace and they're in this YouTube channel, which is run out of like one little, office in this big office building and it's kind of the creepy boss they have is creeping on the woman and she doesn't know what to say about it she doesn't want to lose her job he wants more hits and more you know views so it's just kind of this very kind of generic sort of romantic slightly romantic comedy around this youtube uh business i guess uh and then in throughout that the zombie thing slowly starts to rise up for example the two characters on the way to work they encounter the zombie bit by the cat dude. And he's like eating raw meat on the side of the, uh, like just on the sidewalk and people see it. Of course they're, they're shooting video of it and it's weird. And, and then he like runs off and he seems like he's aggressive, but everyone thinks he probably, he's like a mentally uh, unstable, you know, homeless person or something. I don't know that everyone just doesn't assume that he's a zombie or anything. The boss of the YouTube channel is mad that they didn't get that footage because that footage would have been, got them a lot of hits, you know? So anyway, there's, I would say a good chunk of this, this movie's under 90 minutes, but I'd say a good, almost half of it is just this sort of goofy comedy slash office story. I mean, it could almost be an episode of a TV series. It really hardly even is zombie related. And then eventually, uh, under some like the intrigue, there's the, the owner of the, the building is she's a kind of a villain type you know wants the money from them and they don't have any money and so it's like, like a lot of little like subplots for the main characters so as they all start to die and turn into zombies that i guess you're supposed to care about them um i guess long story short the zombie stuff isn't very gory the more exciting there isn't really much effects there isn't much other than just people with bloody mouths running the romance is pretty lightweight this almost seems like if you're into South Korean, I don't know, young 20s TV romance comedies with a little zombie spice thrown, thrown in there. Maybe this is a starter pack for you if you're to, to get you into zombie movies. But boy, oh boy, if you're a horror fan or a zombie fan or into kind of a good gory action or something like that, this is not going to be for you. Or if you're looking for campy, like really over the top, like Evil Dead dead alive type stuff it's definitely not that at all uh it's very tame 
So I would say for most horror fans, definitely not a not a go to. Like I said, maybe if you're just wanting to dip your toe into horror and you're kind of afraid of it and you like more of these romantic comedy kind of things, maybe that would be for you. Last thing I mentioned, there is a really weird uh, plot point where they have to use a cassette boombox as a attraction device to attract the zombies and distract them away from where they're they're at. And I thought to myself, and it's in a modern world. This is in a world where there's cell phones and everything, drones and stuff. You know, they have all the normal stuff. So the fact that they were easily able to just procure a cassette boombox at a drop of a hat, I thought was a really weird plot point and unnecessary. And I wondered why they didn't at least explain why that was around. Like, you know, anyway, it was just a weird, weird thing that kind of threw me off a little bit. Overall, can't really recommend this movie to most people. Uh, didn't do much for me. It's pretty forgettable, but it's not very long. You know, it's, it's light, it's fluffy. Um, probably only a couple stars for me, two stars probably. Uh, as far as for the Blu-ray itself, very bare bones. Now, I know that uh, Wellgo a lot of times doesn't throw a lot of extra stuff on there. Kind of depends. I mean, like I said, I, I'm always happy that things are getting Blu-ray releases, that they actually will exist. So if, people, if, if a real gem comes across, like Unwelcome, and disappears off of streaming platforms, you can actually have a physical copy of those things. Uh, in that case, Unwelcome had a little bit of making of monster creation stuff, which I like. Of course, I wish there was more special features on any of these movies. Um, this one really doesn't have much of anything. Uh, there's no commentaries. There's only a trailer and a few other trailers for other releases they have. Um, and that's about it. So it's very bare bones. So is there a reason to really run out and buy the Blu-ray other than if for some reason you love this movie and you want to own it? That would be about the only reason I could see. Um, otherwise, there's not a really a big reason to have the Blu-ray of this. But hey, still thanks to um, Wellgo for giving us a chance to have access to these things, especially you know international international independent horror and genre stuff. Anything that gives that an ability for mass audiences to you know get their eyeballs on it, I'm for that. Anyway, we'll be back soon with more reviews on our weekly podcast on cinematics, which focuses on independent releases generally that are coming to your theater or to streaming that week or very soon. And uh, of course, uh, find your film, which has interviews. You're probably listening to one of those right now, interviews and a lot of times media reviews as well.